All right, if, you, uh, if there's Sunday school, I believe there's Children's Church, so if you want to make your way down there right now, I think you can make your way down there. And uh, everyone else, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to oh, Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 17 to 24 today in your Bibles. And if you're wondering why I'm hobbling, it's because I've got gout. So I've been in extreme pain this past week, and so maybe... Instead of me moving around the pulpit, you'll have a, a, a slightly more centered Dan this week. So, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be reading uh, in scripture today. Uh, I don't know if you get the slides up, but uh, let's begin here with reading God's word. This is uh, <clears throat> from God's word. It says this. Oh, we'll do that later. <laughs> uh, so I tell you this and, on, and insist on it on the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in their futility of thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed." That, however, is not the way you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him with in accordance of truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new by the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." Let's begin with a word of prayer. Jesus, as we come and open up the book of Ephesians, would you speak to us through your word? Would your Holy Spirit can convict us today? We're asking that you would make the meaning of the text clear and that we would be sensitive enough to know the conviction of your Holy Spirit when we read the text. Help us understand what it means to take off the old self and put on the new in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. All right. So this morning, uh, uh, my clicker's not working here. Let's see if this thing is working here. Uh, that's me. Okay, I'll handle this. Okay. So this morning, I want to address those of you in church who might be sitting on the fence regarding your relationship with Jesus. And what I mean by that is that you are in a place in your life where you are, you, you're, you're, you, you've, you've, you've come to a place where you're not really sure, right? So you like Jesus, you like what he talks about, you like the fact that there's grace, you like the fact that there's forgiveness, but you haven't fully given yourself over to the pursuit of Jesus. You're kind of half and half. I mean, you're not at the point where you've kind of rejected him and said, no way, but you're not really at the point where you've given yourself fully and all over to him either. And so my question for you today is, is simply this, is what's keeping you from putting everything that you have into Jesus? Why are you on the fence? Like, 
if you truly believe it's, it, it, the, that Jesus existed and he died for your sins and that he loves you and you can have a life that is filled without guilt or shame and you can have a new life, then, then why are you kind of humming and hawing? Why are you only giving 50% of yourself? Why are you only giving 75% of yourself? Why are you not giving all of yourself to Jesus? Could I challenge you with something? I want you as a church to pursue God with everything that you have, to actually get lost in his grace, to know what it means to fully identify and get swept away with the fact that you are blessed, that you are forgiven, that you were redeemed, and that you are a new person. But I also know that there's something that's holding you back. There's something that's, you're not, you're, you're there, but you're not quite fully able to cross over the line and say, Jesus, as best as I know how, you can take every aspect of who I am and give it over. And you know what I think? I, I think maybe it might be that you have a case of the FOMOs. Do you know what the FOMOs are? Anyone want to take a guess? First offended, most offended. Okay, well, that's not what I was going for. but <laughs> FOMO uh, stands for the fear of missing out. I recently, uh, this week, got an invitation back to uh, my 20th year high school reunion. And I just felt old because I realized that 2003 was 20 years ago, right? And from my perspective, I don't think of 20 years ago as 2003. I think of 20 years ago as 1970, right? <laughs> so for some reason, that's like... I just realized that I was getting old, and as I was looking at all my friends' uh, uh, pictures on Facebook, I mean, they got fat, and they got old, and they got bald, and I, I just was, got, started getting curious. I got fat, and uh, I just started getting curious about where their lives wound up. And you know, to my, my, my surprise, my blessed, my, my, my pleasant surprise, most of my friends in high school partied and lived that lifestyle, you know, the drugs, the rebellion, and all that kind of thing, 20 years later, a lot of them have given their lives to Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? And that's really cool because that was an inner city. And I feel very blessed to actually grow up in both worlds. And what I mean by that is, is like, I grew up in inner city Surrey, in an inner city high school with the stereotypical tropes, the baggy jeans and the drugs and all that kind of thing, and, you know, knife fights in the hallway. Thank you, Mike. And uh, all, all that sort of thing. And then I, the year later, I got to move to Three Hills, and I worked at PCA. And I worked with a completely different group of kids, kids that grew up homeschooled, kids that grew up in good families. And I, I, was, I was also wondering how they were doing. And 20 years later, a lot of them have rejected Jesus. And so here I am, and I'm, and I'm kind of wondering why that is, right? Because on one hand, I grew up in a setting where there were single moms, and there was like, 
drug-infested homes, and there was partying, and there was abuse, and there was all kind of thing. And the people that grew up in there, they actually eventually, 20 years down the road, they came to a place where they were like, I need Jesus, I want Jesus, and I'm giving everything to Jesus, and, and, and everything over here, right? Everyone who grew up in the homeschool, everyone who grew up in the families who were taught about Jesus, who had devotions uh, near bedtime, those were the people that walked away from Jesus. And I couldn't figure out why the difference exists. Because in my mind, there's, you know, there's that verse that, in Proverbs that says, train, away, uh, train a child in the way they should go, and they should not depart from it. You guys heard of that verse? So if that was true, then why was, why was the opposite happening? It was almost like I was experiencing what Jesus said when he talked to the Pharisees and he said, I tell you the truth, the sinners, the prostitutes, and the tax collectors are entering heaven ahead of you and ahead of the Pharisees. And that, that's sort of what was going on. And, and I couldn't figure out why until I realized that it was FOMO. It was a fear of missing out. And I realized that what was going on with the kids in the dorm that had been grown up and sheltered is that there was a fear that they were missing out. That if they gave their lives to Jesus, that if they pursued him with everything that they had, if they actually followed through with how their parents raised him, then they would be missing out on all the fun stuff, all the partying, all the drugs, all the sex, everything over here, and you were kind of missing out. And so what kind of starts winding up happening is like when you start developing the FOMOs. Does everyone understand what I mean by that? You fear that you're missing out. And what winds up happening is when you fear that you're missing out, you don't put all your effort and all of yourself into following Jesus. What winds up happening is you kind of ask two questions of yourself. And that is, I like Jesus, I like the forgiveness, and I like the grace, but can I live the way I want to and still benefit from Jesus? That's what a lot of ask is. Can I still be a Christianized version of what I normally am? Can I still be a Christian and do the drugs? Can I still be a Christian and sleep around? Can I still be the Christian and do this, right? That's what a lot of us are asking when we are afraid of missing out. And the second question that we are often asked is this, is that if I follow Jesus, what will I miss? Okay. And the truth of the matter is, is, I want you to understand how amazing and grace-filled and, and, and great giving yourself to following Jesus is, but you've got to bust your fear of missing out. And in order to do that, our text answers two questions. And the questions that it, asks, it, it kind of busts or helps us follow Jesus are this, is number one, can I live the way I want to and still benefit from following Jesus? And the second one is, is what will I miss out on if I do follow Jesus? So listen to what uh, verse 17 says in this, about this right here. Okay. It says that, this is a, uh, chapter 4 verse 17 says this, So I tell you this and insist on it on the Lord 
that you no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, you remember what we were talking about, about Ephesians, that Ephesians was a, is, it was an interesting city. So the first question that you and I need to ask is if the Bible is telling us not to live like the Gentiles do, how did the Gentiles act? Okay. And, my, and my response to you is simply this, is, is that this book is written to the city of Christians in Ephesus, so it's about how the Ephesians lived. And the short answer to that question is the city of Ephesus made Las Vegas look like three hills. Okay? Ephesus was a pagan city. And now it is very important for us to remember that how important Ephesus was to the Christian community. At the end of the first century, the Christian presence in Ephesus was so powerful that it was the center of Christian thought in the entire world at that moment. Okay? So the gospel began to permeate throughout the city. But when Paul first got there, it was amazingly pagan. It boasted the great temple of Dynama. She's depicted of the goddess of fertility and the goddess of sex. Thousands upon thousands of uh, women were, were trafficked into the temple and used as temple prostitutes. So in other words, you would come to the temple and you would engage with a temple prostitute for the exact same reason that you would sing through a hymnal. Okay. If you look at ruins, if you go to Ephesus right now and you look at the ruins of the city, you can see that the public library was right next door to the brothel. And in our day, what we would probably say is if we wanted to go to the brothel, we would say, honey, I gotta, I'm going to go out for the way, I'm going to go out for a while, I'm going to go to the library, and then you kind of sneak in and go to the brothel. In the, the time of Ephesus, they didn't even do that. If you were married and you were in Ephesus, here's what would happen. You would come home after work, you would kind of say, kiss your wife, and say, honey, I'm going to the brothel. And your wife would be like, have a great time. Here's some money. They considered it moral. They considered it great. That's the way that they thought about it. Right? That's why the temple of Diana was there, the temple of spirituality and sensuality. And the thing about the temple is it also acted as a sanctuary for criminals all over the Roman Empire. So if you got yourself close to the temple of Diana, so it, like, if you were like in Rome and you murdered somebody or you were doing some hard, hard crimes, if you were able to make it to the temple of Diana, the, you could not get arrested. So what wound up happening is that because of this, hardened criminals from all over the empire made their way there and the place was just rife with corruption and vice and drunkenness and all sorts of bad behavior. And this, in combination with the amazing wealth of the city, made it so that the moral values seemed, over, uh, seemed so over underwhelming. So, I don't know if you know this, but there's an ancient Greek philosopher. I'm not going to pronounce his name because I'm going to get it wrong. But when he commented about Ephesus, he said that their morals or worse than animals. That's not even a guy who's a Christian. 
And so when Paul says, uh, I tell you the truth and insist on this, that you no longer live as the Gentiles do, he's saying, listen, you've come out of this way and you can't live like the people of Ephesians anymore, right? So the que- answer to the question, can you be a Christianized version of what you already am and what you determined to remain, the answer flatly is no. The text could have been written to us today, don't think or act like Canadians do. Don't think and act like Albertans do. Don't think and act like the city people do. Don't think and act like the rural people do. You were called to something different. And here's what I want you to hear very clearly is that if you are on the fence and you're kind of wondering, can I, can I live a certain way and still get the benefits of Jesus? The answer is no. Okay? God doesn't just want to change the things you do, do, friends. He wants to change what you do. And there is a world of difference between those two things. God says, I want to get into your deceitful desires. I want to change what you love spending time to do. I want to make your heart so that it gets sick over sin and rejoices over good. You cannot follow Jesus and live both ways. If you're struggling to give everything to Jesus and be in all, let me make it plain to you. You have to decide whether or not you're going to give your all or not. You can't sit on the fence. And I know that I'm talking to you, some of you here today. Because in private, you've come up and talked to me and said, Dan, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm actually afraid that if I do, I'm going to miss out on something. Well, let me tell you what you're going to miss out on. If you follow Jesus, you're going to miss out on three things. And these three things aren't very, and my, my opinion is, is that you're not missing out on very much. Number one, you will miss out. See, I got my, I don't know if I have it. Okay. <laughs> Here's what you're going to miss out on if you give everything to follow Jesus. If you decide to live like the Gentiles do, if you decide to live like everyone else do, there will be three things that will happen to you. You'll lose your mind, you'll lose your feelings, and you'll lose yourself over to sensuality. Let me explain what I mean here. It says this, uh, going forward, if you want to hit the next slide for me there. It says this, is that, now I say, one more back. Now I say and testify this in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in what? Their futility of thinking and their minds. Now you might be asking yourself, what does it mean to have a futility of thinking in your mind? Well, if you go to Romans chapter 1, it actually tells you that, what it actually is. It says this in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became what? Futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of God, the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So simply this, is that futility of thinking in Scripture means this, is that you choose and worship idols rather than the created God. Okay? 
That's what happens. That's what you miss out on. If you live this way, if you give yourself over to living the way that everyone else does, eventually your mind, you become futile thinking, and you choose to worship the idols rather than the creator God. And you know what the problem with that is? The problem with that is this, is that your heroes won't be there to save you when you need saving. Okay? You're in life crisis, and you've worshipped at the God of, uh, of uh, self-reliance or... Uh, worshipped of the God of promiscuity, or you worship at other other kinds of gods of other kinds of religions that are out there. Those gods won't be there in the end to save you, and you become futile in your thinking. And when you need help, when you're at the worst part of your life and you're desperate there, and you cry out to your idols, they won't be there. You'll lose your mind, your ability to reason, and choose God. Secondly, you'll lose your ability to feel. Listen to what it says here in verse 18. Though I tell you no longer to live as the Gentiles do, for they are darkened in their futility of thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to what? The hardness of their heart. They have been callous, and given them over to sensuality, greed, and practice of any kind of impurity. Well, what does that mean? Well, simply, what I think that means is this, is that the term uh, callousness is, talk, is a medical term. It talks about the idea, it's, it's the idea that when the bone breaks, right, a callus is formed, and the callus becomes stronger than the bone itself. It becomes hard-hearted. And so when it talks about the idea of being hard-hearted or callous towards God, what it means is that you lose the capacity to feel things towards God. Okay? That your conscience gets dulled. That things that normally would bug you and should bug you don't bug you. So uh, let me illustrate for, for an example. This, this is kind of a weird illustration, but I hope you kind of get the idea going forward. I had a friend. He was a great friend of mine. He was a Bible college friend. Uh, his name was Andrew Smith. Very godly guy. Came here to college here. And, but before he was in college, he was uh, an EMT in Saskatchewan. And uh, he would tell me that uh, being EMT, he would see a lot of gross and disgusting things, a lot of human death, a lot of human uh, brokenness, and a lot of human sort of depravity. And so what wound up happening is like he couldn't figure out, I got to figure out a way to deal with all this brokenness and all this sadness and all this death. I, I don't know how to do it. And so you know what he did? And he told me this was the worst idea he ever had. This is what he did. Okay? He decided to go on a zombie binge. And he rented every single gory movie he could find. Every kind of zombie movie, every, anything from 28 Days Later all the way to Hostel. And he would park in front of himself from the TV and watch people get tortured and mutilated to the point where he didn't feel anything. And so then when he went back to work, it didn't bug him when he saw a dead body. And so that's sort of the idea that goes on here is that when you and I live 
in a way that is contrary to God, the way that the Ephesians did, what winds up happening is that we just become calloused. Things that bug us don't bug us anymore. I remember, this would be such a silly example, but um, I grew up in private school all the way to grade 7, and in that setting, there weren't very many F-bombs. Like, if you heard an F-bomb in private school, like, it was weird, right? But then in grade 8, I went to a public inner city high school, and everyone's dropping them all the time. And you're just like, why is everyone talking like this? This is so weird. But over time... What wound up happening is I just, I just, I didn't notice it. You become hard-hearted. And so what happens is, is that you come to something and you see the things that break God's heart and you, things don't break over the same way. You see people suffering, you see the poor hurting, you see, you see a, you see all the earthquake happening, the things that are happening in Ukraine, and your heart just isn't moved. You hear things about how God is working in people's lives, and the very first thing that you think of is, that's cool, what's happening next? You just get a calloused heart. You don't feel anything. And thirdly, what winds up happening is you lose yourself to sensuality. Moving on, what does the text say? It says this. It says that, it's, no, go back. Okay. They have been callous and given themselves over to sensuality, to greedy, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So what does that mean? Well, let me explain this because this, this, this needs some explaining. A professor once told me that humans were created with the ability to think and to feel that we can reason and we can feel emotions. But he also took it a step further and said, it's not just that we can think and feel, it's that we need to think and feel. So we are created as emotional beings. We have that desire. Um, not only we can feel things, but the problem is, is that we need to feel something. Now, here's the thing. When we become callous about the things of God, we no longer feel an overwhelming sense of gratefulness or kindness or any sort of moral culpability for a sin. And we feel the, and so and we don't feel the need to be grateful to God or anything like that. And we don't feel sort of like moved by forgiveness and mercy. And so when we no longer feel those issues is central to our own humanity, we still have to give ourselves over to feeling something. Okay? Human beings need to feel. So if we're not going to feel a certain way towards God, that then forces us to find, forces us to feel in another, another, another area to make up for it. Do you understand that? And usually that's the area of sensuality. And in this area, what winds up happening is, is if you choose to live the way uh, that the Ephesians did and the Gentiles did, not only will you lose the ability to think clearly, not only will you become hard-hearted, but you will lose yourself over to sensuality in order to feel something. Let me explain this. 
You might be looking at the culture right now and you might be asking yourself, why is there so much sexuality right now? And you might be able to say, well, I know God created sexual beings and we are. I mean, the sexual urge is a human biological urge and it is urge that God has given us to practice within marriage. It's a gift by God. But I want to say this is that the sensuality in our culture today is so out of proportion to our own sexual drives. And I know this to be the case because, uh, for instance, I know that here here at Manor and here in Three Hills, there are people who are 85 years old who are hooked on pornography. And because of their age, because they are widows, because of their physical health, they they aren't able to engage in that aspect of marriage anymore. And yet what winds up happening is they continue to launch themselves forward into more and more of this kind of stuff. Why? Because they're desperately trying to feel something. They're giving themselves over to the sensuality. And I think that's what's happening in our world. Friends, the sensuality in our culture is not harmless, it's harmful. Because it only gives a little bit of a high. And when that doesn't work, we look to more degrading and more demonic forms of sexuality to fill, uh, to fill, to fill that void, that need to feel something. And that leads to all sorts of dangers. And ultimately, we destroy our humanity. And it's because we've decided not to follow God and to live like the Gentiles do. And the consequences of this are felt everywhere. Everyone from adultery to divorce to STDs to abortions, children reigns of homes of brokenness and inability to feel and to trust and to be faithful, to speak truth and to live a life of love. These are harsh realities that flow out of the fact that we have given ourselves as a culture over to sensuality. Okay. I have a dog. I don't know if you know this. Her name's Holly. She's a great dog. And I just realized the other day that I can control her simply by a piece of farmer's sausage. Right? All that I can do is wave this little sausage, this piece of farmer's sausage, and I can get her to do whatever I want. And that is what it's like for you and I when we give ourselves over to our sensuality. We're just an animal controlled by our fleshly desires and you have no ability to control over it. Okay. So the question is this, is going back to our main question, if I decide to follow Jesus with everything my, I have, what will I miss out on? The, the answer is not much. You're going to miss out on losing the ability to think. You're going to miss out on losing the ability to feel. And you're going to miss out on losing yourself to sensuality. I think that following Jesus is a big win, don't you? Right. Listen to what it goes on to say. It says this uh, going forward. It says in verse 29, But that is not the way that you learned Christ. You didn't come to Christ by living this way. So you got to remember that Ephesians is bad, but when the gospel got there, Paul preached the gospel to the Ephesians, and a number of people began to get saved, and they changed. And of course, we've already said they, 
They, they, they saw themselves as a new race, as a new culture, as a new humanity. And they were a people group that had accepted values and a way of living and thinking and interacting with others that was radically different from the Ephesian city and culture that they were living in. And this is what Paul calls them to do. He says this going forward in verse 22, 23, and 24. That is not the way you came to Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught about him as in Jesus. You were taught to what? Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires. And you are to be renewed by the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. So what is happening here is the, the Ephesians are called upon to take off the filthy clothing of, the, of Ephesians and put on the new clothes of Jesus Christ. Now, you might be here and you might be like, I don't really understand the clothing metaphor. Let me explain it real quickly. What, what you wear defines your role in the world, right? It is a projection of your role in society. So, for example, if you were wearing a police uniform, chances are you're a what? Police officer, okay? If you wear a baseball clap, uh, cat, cap, a plaid shirt, and jeans, chances are you're Matt Tease. <laughs> or you're a farmer, right? If you are wearing a tux, your chances are you're going to a formal event or a wedding. You're not getting under a car with a tux, right? And what I'm trying to say is that what you wear, it projects who you are, what team you're on, what your role is on society. It's kind of like saying this. It's just like if, you were playing, if you were an NHL player and you were playing for the Calgary Flames, God rest your soul, okay, you would wear what kind of jersey? You, you would wear a Calgary Flames jersey, but if you got traded to a different team, you would wear their jersey. So if you were playing on the Flames and then you got transferred to the Jets, you would put on the Jets jersey. You would change the clothing that you wear to represent what team you are. And now you're not on Team Ephesus, you're on Team Jesus. And so God is asking you, hey, I need you to take off your old way of living and put on the, put on the new jersey, put on the new clothes of Christ. Well, how do you do that? Well, really quickly as we wrap up, I'm going to give you three, three ways to do that. Number one, to put off your old self, you must put to death your old way of life. You need to die to the old way of life. You need to look at your flesh and crucify it. And what I mean by that is we have to stare at our flesh and say, you know, all the impulses that are a part of the habitual patterns that I bore when I was a non-believer, I bore, that I was born into sin and I was trained according to the patterns of this world, I'm now going to learn to say to those things, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a declaration of war against my flesh, and I am determined to kill you. And all the impulses and desires, I'm just going to cut them off, and I'm going to give them over. You remember what Jesus said, that he said, if your right eye causes you to sin, you should gouge it out. 
that it's better to go into eternity having lost one eye than if in this life than go into hell with two eyes. And what I mean by that is, is, is like here, I don't think Jesus is actually telling you to gouge your eyes out. Here's what I do think he's saying. He's saying that you take whatever radical measures it takes to crucify your own sinful nature. Okay? So some of us, I know in this room, might actually be struggling with internet pornography. You might actually come to me and say, Pastor Dan, I just can't help myself. I can't stop. And my answer to you is that you should not put yourself in a place that will afford you that temptation. And if that means you live life without the internet, then that's what you do. You've got to crucify it. Secondly, you have to do it continually. Like... When you came to Christ in Jesus, you were given a brand new nature. You were given a new life. You, you're not the same person that you used to be. You were made a child of God. You have a life without any shame, any regret, no guilt. That's amazing. But here's what I also want to tell you. No one deleted, the, no one deleted your sinful nature. And you know why I know that? Because sin still feels good. We're still tempted by sin. There is a knee-jerk reaction inside each and every one of us to, to go towards the flesh or to live towards the Spirit of God. And the flesh and the Spirit of God are vying for control of your life. Okay? And here's the difference, though, is that the God will not control your life, will not come in and say, uh, I that he will be Lord and leader of your life unless you allow him to, but your sinful nature is insidious. It is trying to control you whether you like it or not. It's like you have two operating systems, and every morning that you get up, you have a decision by which operating system that you're going to live your life by, whether or not you're going to follow Jesus and live by the Spirit, or you're going to live by the flesh, okay? And so what needs to happen is that you actually need to take the old clothes off continually, right? Day by day and moment by moment. Now, just so you're clear, I'm not saying that you're saved and lost in a day. What I am saying is that you have the opportunity to choose to live for Jesus or live for yourself moment by moment. And every time that a decision comes to you in your life, whether at work or your family or at school, every single one of those is a chance to choose to live by the flesh or to live by the spirit. You must continue continually to do it. And lastly, you've got to change your stinking thinking. Listen to what the text says here. It says this, in regard, you are to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through your deceitful desires, and what? To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You see, friends, the mind is a place where a great many battles are fought. You know the old adage that uh, as the man thinks, that, that what he is, that is true. And so what we want to begin to realize is that what we dwell our minds on, what we think about, what we spend our preoccupation, changes the way that we see things. So you might actually need to change the way that 
what you listen to, what you watch, what you read, and what you play. You see, many of us might be surprised to know that in our culture, we live in a culture which is constantly trying to disciple us to think a certain way. I mean, we all know that that's true. And so we need to recognize that the mind becomes the battleground of spirituality. There's a real danger in continuing to digest the kinds of things that we put on in our entertainment world. I'm going to say this very clearly, and I want you to take some time to think about this. We live in an age where we are more full of digital input than we are of scripture and prayer. And I want you to understand that that does something to you. I don't know if you ever grew up in an environment where your parents were overly strict about what you could watch or what you could not watch, you know, even to the point of saying Christian music is bad and all that kind of thing. And, and listen, I, I know that there might be an issue there, but I'm kind of wondering if there was, they were on to something. Just recently, the Barna Group reported that the average millennial, so that's people that are probably, you know, 25 to 40 in that range right there. So this would apply to everyone younger than 40. The average millennial consumes about 3,000 hours of digital content per year, and only 150 hours of that is Christian material. That's a 20 to 1 ratio. Listen very carefully. Uh, You become what you contemplate. And you get whatever you give your attention to, that's what you become. So if you your ratio is twenty is twenty to one, if if it's twenty to the world's ideas and one to Jesus' ideas, that is going to have a corrosive effect on your faith. I don't care what you tell me. Okay. Maybe the challenge for you this morning is that if you get more of your beliefs and more of your information from the media than scripture, then maybe the unsettling feelings that you have, the angst that you have in your heart, the underwhelming sorts of depression that you have, might be more self-inflicted than you think. Because you're constantly giving yourself over to a 20 to 1 ratio. And so what I would ask you to hear very, Scripture is telling us very clearly that if we were to put on the new self of Jesus Christ, we must renew our minds. That means to me is that you, you probably should change what you listen to. Make church a weekly habit. Join a Bible study group. Learn to read Scripture every single day. Learn to take time for prayer every single day. Learn disciplines of the mind that radically reorient you to the things of Scripture. Okay, Because if you don't, it can hurt you. We can easily become attached or addicted to the garbage. And over time, these things will fill the empty places in our hearts that God intended to fill himself. For those of you who are married that, that fill our lives with all this kind of junk, we have to remember that 
what winds up happening is we become emotionally unavailable to our spouses. The TV, the magazines, the computers, the phone, the romance novel fills us up and it's much easier to go to those things than being real with the people that we are living with and are expressing our emotional needs. So we push our spouse away even if they want to meet our needs, they can't. We've already settled for Satan's quick fix in our affection to others. Make no mistake, when you fill your minds with stuff other than what is godly, you're filling your minds with ungodly influences that hurt those that you love. And you know what it does? It takes you away from them. It darkens your character and dulls your conscience. It alters your moods and personality, and it deepens your sense of of hopelessness and despair. And if you don't believe me, I would actually ask you to do what I call the filth digestion challenge. And that is this, is that you fast from everything that is dishonoring from God for a week. So you look at what you listen to, you look at what you watch, you look at what you scroll through your phone, or what you play, or what you read, and you just say, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to ingest that for a week, and see if it makes a difference. And I guarantee you it will. Okay? And I'm not against good music or a TV show or anything. But I have to tell you something. Is that I think that those things influence us more than we want to let on. Amen? Amen. And we do not want to be with our old self. We want to be with our new self. So here's what I'm going to tell you. Read your Bible as often as you stare at your phone. Just try it. See what happens. Okay. In conclusion, I just want to say that if you've grown up in your life, uh, you can make your way to the front. If you, if, uh, can I ask Anna to come up to the front to begin to lead us in a closing song? And I'm going to say this. If you've grown up here in Manor, or here at any other church, and you don't really have a past, right? Meaning that you didn't go off the rails, and you didn't do anything largely wrong. You were largely a good kid, and you had parents that loved you, and you had par- and the worst thing that your parents did was say that the only thing you could watch was VeggieTales. If that was the worst thing that they did. Can I just tell you something? You are a very blessed person. You are not missing out. Every single one of us who has had the kind of past where we're off the rails turned our lives over to Jesus because we knew that that life was awful. So if you never got to experience that life, if you no longer live, not if you never got to live the way that the Gentiles did and given yourself over that sensuality, can I just say that you're not missing much and that you are blessed to have parents that love you and care for you and told you about scripture and told you about the Lord. And if the worst thing that they did was just be a little bit legalistic, then I'd say you're doing all right. Do you know that Manor is one of the very first churches I've been a part of where the majority of the people still have their families intact? Every church that I've served in, for, and I've served at eight in total, 
The majority of the church is made up by people who come from broken homes, who are on their second or third or fourth marriages. That's what's normal. Having a church where people love each other and raise their kids to know the Lord and shelter them from, from, from bad things, that is a blessing. So if you're in a stage of life right now where you haven't given everything yourself to pursuing God, and you're wondering if you can be a Christianized version of what you already are, the answer is no. But I also, that's the bad news, but the good news is this. If you give your life to Jesus completely, you're not missing out on very much. You're missing out on losing your ability to think, feel, and give yourself over to your sensuality. So I really want you today to consider that if you are on the fence, it's time to get off and pursue Jesus with anything. You're not missing out. Amen? You can close this and lead us in a song.